This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by Acts 29 with an invitation to their 2024 Next Conference happening April 15th through the 17th in Dallas, Texas. You don't want to miss this great lineup of speakers, including Sam Albury, Matt Chandler, Brian Loritz, John Piper, and more. The Next Conference will equip and encourage church planters and church leaders of all types for church ministry. To learn more and register for Next, visit acts29.com slash next. TGC podcast listeners will receive a special discount of $20 off registration prices by using the code TGC. Again, visit acts29.com slash next. That's acts29.com slash next. This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by LifeWay. With the new CSB Men's Daily Bible, men are seeing the truths of Scripture in direct, effective ways. And with devotionals and insights that speak to every man's struggles and questions, this edition is changing the way men's groups and discipleship partners study together. Pre-order the new CSB Men's Daily Bible today and get the best deal offered with 50% off when you purchase at LifeWay.com and use promo code MDB50. That's LifeWay.com. Welcome to the Gospel Coalition podcast, equipping the next generation of believers, pastors, and church leaders to shape life and ministry around the gospel. On today's episode, you'll hear a panel discussion from TGC's 2021 National Conference on what we can learn about suffering from the Chinese church. My name is Hannah Nation, and I'm going to let my colleagues introduce themselves. My name's S. Yi Wang. I work with Hannah. My name is Ryan Zhang. I'm a pastor at New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati. I also work with Hannah. We work for an organization called China Partnership. And CP is involved with serving and training um, house church pastors in China and coming alongside a gospel movement across China. The topic of our session is talking about what we as the American church have to learn about suffering from the Chinese house church. Now, I think for probably many of you in this room, associating suffering with the churches in China is probably not a surprising idea. Um, Probably a lot of us, when we think about the house church, we think about persecution or we think about people worshiping in private homes. And all of this is true, um, but of course the situation in China is very complex complex. And really, um, at the end of the day, what a house church in China really means is that it's a church that um, has decided not to be registered um, under the Chinese government's state church system. These churches, however, can be large. They can be large or small. Many churches have grown to be more than 100 people. And they also either meet in private homes or a lot of times they meet in rented commercial spaces. So we really are talking about primarily um, a position within society um, in terms of a relationship to the state church. I think the the kind of big question is, why should we learn from them? (laughs) So I have a question for everyone in this room to start us out. And I want you to go ahead and raise your hand. So how many in this room believe that we need to see revival in America today? 
kind of a trick question. <laughs> um, the idea I'd like to propose to you is that if we want to see revival in America today, then we need to be listening to and learning from churches that are currently seeing revival in their midst. In 1970, um, the population of Christians, professing Christians in China, was estimated to be about 0.1% of the population. Today, the very conservative estimate is that there are 70 to 80 million Christians spread across China. Now, even adjusting for China's growth in population, this is a 60-fold growth in the number of professing believers in China. This is what revival looks like. Many of these people are very acquainted with suffering, and they're very acquainted with the idea of walking the way of the cross. This is the traditional house house church term for walking as Christ walked on this earth. And at this time, I'm going to turn it over to my colleague. He's a lot more experienced than me with working with house church pastors themselves. And um, we just would love to hear from you about the state of the church in China. Yeah, Hannah, uh, if we want to understand China and the churches, we have to understand China as a country or even a civilization has been undergoing great changes in the past 180 years. Until today, the political ruling system structure in China is still fundamentally an emperor system. That's still the same, no matter what you call it. At essence, that's an emperor system. The heart of the issue now is really about the ultimate loyalty and the love of the emperor's people. It's about whom do you love? The emperor deserve, uh, demands unreserved love. Because of that, this, the fundamental social problem is between the emperor's power and the potential power that can even remotely, possibly challenge that power. So what you are saying, seeing nowadays, no matter what form this power can be, commercial, Alibaba, any uh, ethnic groups, Hong Kong as territory, or any social society as like Christianity, anything can challenge that. They will crush that. That's a, that's a situation. And the church has been facing this challenge, this typical challenge, in the past 150 years, since its birth from the fourth generation uh, of the missionary movement in China. So. Because of this, the exact meaning of house church, we call that today, is not first a meeting place. It's not about the church, state, political position. It is first about the hearts of people's first love, about who is the head of the church. Is it Christ or it is the emperor? The house church leaders for 50, 70 years, they unwavering say, is Christ and Christ alone. Therefore, as a result, the persecution for all the house church leaders has never been new. It's only a surprise to the younger generation who grow up, who converted to Christianity in the past 20 years. This current situation is a new experience for them. That's the current situation in China. However, in the past two or three days, as you all know, the tightening up pressure, the persecution in China, what we see under the persecution, under the pressure, 
it surprises me. The heavenly kingdom on earth in the churches become even more clearly seen, and even you can feel that. Under this persecution, the leaders and church they simply turn to their king, resurrected king, ascended Christ, who is ruling powerfully in heaven to draw their power, and their prayer is their ultimate weapon, is their very. Practical abiding in Christ—it's so real in their life, in their church life, in their daily Christian life. They are really a group of people who are simultaneously in heaven and on earth, fighting this spiritual warfare. It makes me almost, for, for many times, taste again Acts four after the disciples. Were threatened and warned by the earthly power in Jerusalem, and then they immediately turned to their King in heaven and prayed to Him. He engaged that power from heaven, or even Acts six and seven, when Stephen was on trial. Actually, through his vision, we saw there are two courts simultaneously there, confronting each other, encountering each other, and、uh, Stephen, being faithful to, to the heavenly court, died for Christ. So, because of this, hearing what they preach and seeing their work, they are really trying. I can see trying very consciously, intentionally, and consistently to live out the life of the already but not yet eschatology. I saw four distinctive characters of the Chinese House Church under this persecution in the recent years. Number one is a real union with the ascended Christ. In his death and resurrection, number two, they are daily abiding in Christ and relying on Christ in their prayers. It's a real heavenly ascended prayers. And number three, their unwavering faithfulness to follow Christ in the way of the cross. And this way of cross is considered their glory on earth. And number four. They are so determined to consider the evangelism, discipleship, leadership training, and church planting the uncompromisable uncompro- action. They are un-、uh, they are they are resolved to push forward for this. For example, I met a pastor in November 2019, just before the pandemic in Hong Kong. I asked him how was he doing at his church, and after six months, he was kicked out of his church. And his house has been guarded by the police 24/7. I was expected to hearing a story of bad government persecuting the churches. However, to my surprise, he told me that God is really disciplining them and refining them through the government's persecution. They see through the pers- persecution their love of the world. They love the world. They don't love Christ. They said they desire for American middle, li- middle class life. Instead of the way of the cross, and then he said, they repented, and they pray. They said, their way is the cross, not this world. Everyone, he said, he said, everyone of us need to prepare to go to jail. And he said, survival is not our calling and the goal of of the church. Their calling and goal is an uncompromisable evangelism. Discipleship training, raising up full-time pastors, and church planting, and this church, 
under persecution. In the past one year of pandemic, they planted five more churches in their city. And another example I'll give you, Pastor Wang Yi, who was arrested in 2018 on trial and nine years in prison. He also, in one of the sermons, said the following. I'm going to read that to you to just feel their reality. He said, I was once arrested and brought to the police station. The officer there asked me, did you do anything that is subversive? I asked him whether praying counts as a subversion. I said, I often pray to the Lord. I say, oh Lord, we have been oppressed so heavily. Can you reach out your arm to us and demolish this political authority in one nice time? Or are you going to allow the heart of Pharaoh be hardened and manifest your glory and power? I said, oh Lord, you have millions upon millions of children in China, and we are all waiting eagerly for this day to come. So I asked him, the policeman, whether this is a considered subversion of the county's political authority via prayer. He thought for a while and said, this did not count. So I replied that, oh, then I did not have any other method because this is a secret weapon of the church. It is an atomic bomb of the church. It is because God gave us this power and channel of prayer. We can therefore be submissive even to, to be submissive even to unjust authority. So I recited Colossians 1.16 to the officer. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or do dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. This is Pastor Wang Yi. He lived in this reality through and out. And his prayer, his encounter with the policeman, just show us that. So in summary, under this situation, I'm seeing the heavenly kingdom more visibly, even touchable. The presence of Christ so real, their genuine prayer life totally reply, uh, uh, relies on Christ and the power of the Spirit are truly amazing to me. I just want to be with them. Yeah, I, I think this point that pressure, the pressure of the earthly kingdoms of the world reveal reveals the heavenly kingdom to us is such an important and crucial point for American churches today. And I think we, we fear that pressure. We fear that um, potential marginalization. But watching the Chinese churches and watching their response and watching the way that this pressure reveals the heavenly kingdom is such an encouragement to me and I think there's so much that we can learn. So I have a, a couple of points that, for me, a, a lot of my work is really more or less to help bring this theology, this perspective, out from the Chinese house church to the global church so that we can hear from them and learn from them. 
And, and it's, I, I'm not trying to point the finger at the American church or to criticize the American church. I'm a part of it. I love my church. Um, but we all have weaknesses and we all have strengths and we benefit from hearing each other's weaknesses and strengths. So there are a few touch points that I think based off of what Essie is saying really come to my mind where the specific weaknesses of American Christianity have the ability to hear and learn from the strengths of house church Christianity in China. So the, those four things that come to my mind are, are just first this idea that prayer is real. <laughs> and I think we, we all say we believe in prayer and we pray, but I think engaging with house churches has just personally convicted me on this question of do I think of prayer as active participation in the kingdom of God? Do I live like prayer is my lifeblood? And I think when you are under the pressures that that Chinese house church faces, that just becomes crystal clear that um, our life as Christians is a life of prayer. We're dependent on prayer. Um, a lot of the stories that I work with that come out of China, it's amazing to me how much um, <laughs> the testimonies are that as people are taken to police stations, they're praying in the taxi cab or the police car as they go, or they're singing hymns as they go. And while they're in the police center, they talk about actively praying while they are there for the police officers that they're interacting with. Now, these aren't superhuman Christians. They're, they're not fundamentally different from us. But because of their situation, they've realized and been able to see how much prayer is what sustains us and keeps us alive in Christ through these things. Um, I think the, the other thing that really just sticks out to me, the second thing, is how much they believe that the church really is the best gift they can give to the city. Um, there are many social problems that they face and many struggles um, that embroil Chinese society today. And the house churches are just deeply committed to evangelism <laughs> and they um, are willing to take great risks. And I, and I think when um, we look at ourselves in the West, um, it's a hard question for me to answer of when I look at my city and all the problems that I might see in my city, do I believe that the church is the best thing that I can give in response to all those problems. And I think a part of that question is, is are our churches the best things we can give to the city? That's a, a logical question and follow-up. Um, connected to that is obviously the question of evangelism. And this is the third thing, is just that the Chinese churches have not slowed down in their evangelism as they have endured these pressures. Um, they are just as committed to church planting. They are maybe more committed to church planting um, in the last several years as persecution has increased 
than they were earlier even. And um, this is also true through COVID. <laughs> so um, as Essie mentioned, we know of several um, house churches that have been planted during the last year of pandemic. Um, I have a, a dear friend, he's in Shanghai. He planted his church um, the week or the week after the Wuhan lockdown. And there was so much prayer that went into that because it was anyone's question whether this church could be planted um, as pandemic actively broke out, not only across China, but around the world. And a month ago, he sent me a message and he said a year later, they have 100 people in their church. And on their first baptism Sunday, they baptized six adults. This is incredible to me that their first response in the midst of pandemic was evangelism. And I, and I, oh, it just, it convicts me. I don't, I don't know how much when pandemic broke out that my first response was to think about my friends who don't know Christ and immediately say, Let's share the gospel with them. This is the time. This is the year. This is the year that they are asking the questions about life and about death. And now is the time to be bold in our evangelism. Um, it, it just convicts me so deeply to have seen that response from people. They um, have, of course, been concerned about encouraging anxious Christians but they haven't stopped there and they haven't said pandemic is just about reassuring the saints. It's about winning those who are dying to Jesus. Um, I think the last thing that just really sticks out to me too is just the centrality and the role of repentance in these churches as they face persecution. And to me, this is just a really um, mind-blowing thought <laughs> that um, the first response of not just one random church in China, but generally the response of house churches across China is that when they are persecuted, they all talk about it as a time to repent of their idols. I don't think we have that language in the U.S. I don't think we have the language to say, if we receive pushback, if we receive marginalization, if we receive persecution, that it's a time for us to repent, um, corporately or individually. And I think this is a hard, this is a hard thing for Americans. This is a hard thing for American Christianity. Um, I have I, I have a friend. She um, spent a month in jail, and um, she um, just talks about how it was a time for her idols of worldliness and of comfort um, to be challenged. And she talks about her month in jail as a time of personal repentance. Um, and conviction that she should be evangelizing the prostitutes and the drug dealers 
and the other criminals who were in jail with her. And I just think that's, that is what we need. We need that faith and that ability to see ourselves and say that if that comes, what it means is that we repent and we evangelize those that we are suffering along with. And I think this is just, um, at the end of the day, the really big question that I find myself asking over and over again as I work with the sermons and the writings coming from Chinese house church pastors is just a question of, are we able to love and serve our cities from positions of weakness and not from positions of power? One of the women who's involved with several house churches, she's a pastor's wife. She says, just as Christ stays were on earth, so are our days also. Students are not above their teacher. And I think this is just a watchword for us, that the student is not above the teacher. And this is something we can really think about and ponder on and learn from our brothers and sisters in the Chinese house church. I think with that, I'd love to hear from um, my good friend Ryan. He's a pastor himself in an American church, but engaging a lot with house church pastors. So Ryan, I'm really curious to hear from you how all of this is affecting you as a, as a pastor in a local church. Yeah, thank you, Hannah. It's a great segue. I think one of the things I've tried to implement and share with our church in Cincinnati is the, the question about posture. You know, we see in the West here and also in the East a breakdown of the moral fabric that titles society together. And of course, in the East, the moral fabric comes from the traditional Confucian values. In the East, it's from the Judeo-Christian values. So for the Chinese church, they see this breakdown as an opportunity to share the unique perspective of the gospel. Whereas for us here, American churches see it as a loss of influence. So the Chinese see it as an opening, whereas the Americans are angry about it. And I think the Chinese church really, in this sense, have been modeling for us how to love and serve our neighbors well, even though some of those neighbors are persecuting them actively, as, as, he said, as Ian Hannah said. They share the gospel with the police officers that came to arrest them, or with the inmates that they share a jail with. And these are very hard thing to do to share with people who are persecuting you, knowing they're also suffering from the same moral fabric, the same breakdown of the moral fabric that you suffer from. And you have pity on them and you love them. And I think that the Chinese church really serves as a model for us how to serve and love our neighbors from the margins and how to repent of our failures to be a perfective voice in society and I really hope that that's a, a posture we could adopt as we plan more churches and do our own evangelism. The second thing I think is the um, learning about the church as a family. So the, some of the most enduring pictures in my mind are Chinese Christians waiting outside of police stations and outside of prisons, waiting for their pastors to come out, to be released. And they usually come with flowers and presents waiting for them. And they would take a group pictures together, smiling as if you know they just won some kind of award. And in a sense, they did, because they felt they were worthy to suffer in the name of Christ. But at the same time, they also do this as their own risk, because now they're known as accomplices to these criminals. 
And I often tell my church people that you're much closer to people sitting next to you in your pews than your unbelieving family members. You're much closer to people next to you right now than your unbelieving relatives. And in a sense, it's true because we are the people that will go into eternity together, that we are the family of Christ. Now, God redeemed a people for his kingdom, not just individuals. And that's a category-busting thing for the Chinese churches because they come from very traditional family values. But in the church, they realize who their families are. And that doesn't mean that our family is not important, but our church families is at least just as important. So that has reshaped my thinking about how we cultivate deep communities within our church. You know, how do we weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, you know, in fact, you don't know how much someone has to suffer to sacrifice to be part of your church. So be a family. You know, love each other. And I think the last thing, you know, it's um, a fuller perspective in suffering. And I think we are more naturally more a Christmas people than an Easter people. And what do I mean by that? You know, it's easiest for us to think about God with us. You know, his peace with us, his comfort with us, God loves us, loves us, Emmanuel. It's much easier to think about God entering into our space. And that's all true. But what I see more and more in the Chinese church is their emphasis on us being with God after the resurrection. So after Jesus was crucified, he raised from the dead, he's now ascended as Lord in heaven with God. And we have a deeper union with him there than he is with us because we, we're with him in the Holy Spirit and that makes us the Easter people and I knew that as a concept before but now I could really see it happening how it's lived out in the Chinese churches and as, as, he, as he said you know, it, gives us some hope. it gives them hope it gives them a mission and empowers their prayers and I think we should talk about that as much here in America as we talk about God's presence with us here let me give you an example how um, I could apply this. So um, last week at our church, we had a family, very dear friends of mine, that had a stillborn baby at um, 39 weeks. Very sad. And, and the whole time I was talking with them, praying for them, I kept thinking about 2 Samuel 12, when David lost his baby with Bathsheba. And David said, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And that verse never really meant much to me until I really understood what it meant in the context of resurrection. You know, in the context of Jesus' resurrection, that what David said is true. You know, that could be a great comfort to that family who just lost a baby because one day they will get to behold their son in heaven. And I lost my dad um, three years ago to lung cancer. And it's been a great comfort to me because I know my dad has union with God right now. And I have union with Jesus, the same union with him. I'm just here. I'm not there yet. And one day I will be there with him. And that gives me quite a bit of hope and also even a purpose as we grieve our loss. So, you know, how has learning from the Chinese brothers and sisters affect your spiritual growth, as he, Enoch? Yeah, there are, there are so many ways. I've been traveling back and forth in the past uh, nine, ten years, many times a year. Apparently, you can see I, I serve them, but from my heart, I know God has been serving me through them in these many years. I become a different person. I owe a lot to them. Uh, one of the nearest 
a change I can still remember so significant in my life was in the same time, November 2019, talking with that pastor I just shared. I was expecting he's going to complain, talk about government persecution narrative. But when I heard him saying, God really uses to discipline them, refine them, and to grow them, I was in so, so great shock. When they said, we repent, we love the American middle-class life, we don't love the cross, I just reflect myself, my life. I still remember when I was ordained during the ordination ceremony, my elderly father came to the stage and he says, S.E., I bless you, and my bless is you will be a pastor for God in jail. He was in jail for five years. He was a pastor. And he said, my blessing to you is you will be a pastor for Lord in jail. Um, I hate that blessing. I really hate that. I hate that very much. I said in my heart, Dad, you're just breaking your history. It's not even possible. And on that spot, when I heard that pastor saying, we are prepared to go to jail for the Lord, I repent. I pray to the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm willingly to be a pastor for you in jail. That will be my glory. I'm willingly to accept my Father's blessing. At that moment, I felt free. I felt so much empowered. That's one of the latest change to me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> knowing and serving these men and women in China has had a profound impact on my understanding of Jesus. And um, I think really apart from the study of scripture itself, there's probably nothing that has impacted my understanding of who Jesus is more than learning from these men and women. Um, I think, you know, I know a lot of pastors, Chinese pastors, who will say that every Christian is called to suffer in union with Christ. And this has been very hard for me to accept. <laughs> I think that's probably hard for most Christians in the West to accept. Um, but I've come to really find a lot of comfort personally um, in this idea. So I, I, um, my my family, we I, I joke that we are COVID dislocates, but um, basically we were made homeless twice over um, in the pandemic. And so as you can imagine, it's just been a really challenging year. We have had somewhere to live. We live with family, but <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, my, my sense of what I need in life in order to be secure in my identity has been very much challenged this last year. Um, being uh, an adult with kids um, and having to tell people, I don't know where I'm from or where I live has been hard. 
But um, simultaneous, while we've been going through this year, um, I've been editing a lot of translations of writings and sermons from house church pastors. And um, some of them are from a, a pastor named Wang Yi, who's arrested and in jail for nine years. And he just, he is so clear in saying that um, our citizenship is in heaven. It's not on this earth. And that is our true home. <laughs> and so just for me personally, as I have struggled so deeply with this question of where my home is, um, hearing from a man who is currently in jail telling me our home is in heaven, you can endure through hardship on this earth because our home is in heaven has been just incredibly um, encouraging and helpful for me personally as I've gone through this year. Um, so I am personally just very thankful for this time in the world when we get to hear um, from those in China and we get to be blessed by their, their wisdom. Any other thoughts, guys? Um, let me pray, and then I want to tell you something before you leave. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your children in China. I thank you that um, we have the opportunity to hear from them, that um, we can glean from their wisdom for our weaknesses. I just pray that um, we would be blessed um, I pray that they would be blessed. I pray that you would give them further perseverance, strengthen them as they continue to go through the challenges that they face and revive our hearts from knowing them and from hearing their stories. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast. Check out more gospel-centered resources at thegospelcoalition.org.